Hello, everyone. It is a brand new day and a brand new month. Welcome, month of September, and welcome one and all to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we celebrate the one who makes all things new. We are so grateful for God's Word, how He has revealed through the Scripture the truth about Himself and His plan to salvage us through His redemptive work. The truth about God and His plan of salvation is spelled out perfectly through the person and work of His Son. We see how this work is anticipated in the Old Testament and explained in the New Testament. My name is David McAdam, and it is my privilege to conduct this tour as we read through the entire Bible in a year and make note of our observations, encouraging you not to miss important details. Today we finish the book of Job, the 18th book in the Old Testament, and tomorrow we will jump to the 21st book, the book of Ecclesiastes. That is because every day we are reading from the 19th and 20th books in the Bible, the book of Psalms and Proverbs. We are still in the book of Job, in the dialogue section where Job and his friends have made their attempts to sort out the conundrum of his sufferings. But now it is no more the conjecture or opinions of men. God is speaking, and what he says puts Job and all of us in our place. We must humble ourselves before him and trust his essential character as revealed in Scripture. As we come to the close of the book, we see how things turn out for Job in the final section known as the Epilogue. In the final chapter. So let's get started by reading Job chapter 40, beginning with verse 1. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and said, Dress for action, like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me, that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold, Behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold his strength in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Chapter 41 Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? 
Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, or his mighty strength, or his goodly frame, who can strip off his outer garment, who would come near him with a bridle, who can open the doors of his face, around his teeth is terror, his back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal, one is so near to another that no air can come between them, they are joined one to another, they clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid, at the crashing they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling-stones are turned to stubble, Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot, and he makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high, he is king over all the sons of pride. Chapter 42 Job's Confession and Repentance Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite 
and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. The Lord Restores Job's Fortunes And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had fourteen thousand sheep, six thousand camels, one thousand yoke of oxen, and one thousand female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this Job lived one hundred and forty years, and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament portion today, and it concludes the book of Job. And now, as is our custom, we take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we just read. Job has endured many trials. He has suffered losses, afflictions, and accusations. Although Job was perplexed about his circumstances and at times offered complaints, yet he maintained his conviction that God is worthy of worship. He had been mighty in his rebuttals to the accusations of his friends, but when called upon to answer God, there is the pause of silence. God asked Job to present his case, asking, Will the fault-finder contend with the Almighty? Job has no case to present. He has nothing to say. He is beginning to see himself in a new light. He who had been so strong in his assertions is now humbled and broken. Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Job chapter 40, verse 4. He was learning the lesson that we recognize more clearly in the New Testament when Paul confessed, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18. God's self-revelation will silence all boasting. The book of Romans reminds us that the revelation of God's righteousness in the law was not given to show us how righteous we are, but how righteous we're not. It is given so that we might lay our hands over our mouths. We read in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. So Job's mouth is shut. God has more to say. Job is ready to listen. Once tight-fisted in his angry reaction to his circumstances, Job is now humbled, open-handed, and open-hearted. He is ready to receive what is to be the outcome of the Lord's dealings, a revelation of God's mercy and compassion. And this is what we learn from James in the New Testament. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. James chapter 5, verse 11. Job is not blessed because he endured. 
He endured because he was blessed. Job is silent, but is he submissive? We dare not put ourselves in God's place as judge, for our knowledge is so limited. We were not there when God created the universe, nor do we understand the complexities of his designs. God asked Job, Will you subdue my creation? As evidence of God's exceeding wisdom and power, God gives Job the examples of two of his mightiest creatures, the behemoth and the leviathan. These two different creatures of complex design are creatures that mankind had better not attempt to contend with because of their overpowering strength. Scholars have debated whether these creatures refer to the hippopotamus and crocodile or some other mighty created being such as a dinosaur. The word behemoth means superbeast in Hebrew. God in his mercy did not make this creature carnivorous or Job would be on his dinner plate. In Job's day, it would be next to impossible to capture a hippotamus, but in contrast, easy to capture a man. In Job chapter 41, God speaks of the Leviathan. The root of the Hebrew word Leviathan means to twist or to writhe. This creature found in the water could refer to a whale or a crocodile. It could be a spinosaurus or other creature. The Jews used the word to describe their enemies, such as Egypt, as the Bible uses the word serpent to describe the adversary, Satan, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, we read, In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. In Psalm 74, verses 13 and 14, You divided the sea by your strength, you broke the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Man cannot make a Leviathan his house pet, nor can we make God our house pet, in Job chapter 41, verse 5. The Leviathan is not to be toyed with. Lay your hand on him, remember the battle, you will not do it again, Job chapter 41, verse 8. Or in verse 34, he is king over all the sons of pride. Job, who has offered mighty defiant speeches towards his friends, is now broken before God. One cannot receive blessings from God with our fists clenched in anger. In Job chapter 42, Job makes his confession and repents. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In verse 3, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. This is a noble confession. Job surrenders to the greatness of God, which includes the greatness of his mercy. Job is given no explanation of the reason for his trial, but the trial is forgotten in the light of God's compassion. In the end of the book, Job is still unaware of Satan's role in the assault made upon his soul. The Apostle Peter was tested in a trial by Satan in Luke chapter 22, verse 31. So was the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 but they were both made aware that Satan was behind their ordeals. Job was not. The epilogue is beautifully constructed to vindicate God's faithfulness to Job. First, 
the Lord deals with Job's accusers. In his wrath he rebukes Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. He calls upon them to get right with him by offering seven sacrifices of both bulls and rams, seven standing for perfection, a picture of the perfect sacrifice of Christ. He then calls Job my servant and calls him to intercede for his friends. Job's friends intended to restore Job by philosophy. Job intends to restore his friends by prayer. In Job chapter 42, verse 10, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. God was not obliged to act this way, but he doubled all that Job had lost in his trial. Notice that the Lord said that he increased all that Job had twofold. He gave Job twice the number of livestock, but only the same number of children to replace those who were killed. What does this mean? It means that Job's other children were still Job's family. There was no afterlife for the cattle and herds. Although Job's sons and daughters had died, they still lived in the afterlife and were still reckoned as Job's family. This is another great assurance of the fact that our souls are eternal. While half of Job's family was in heaven, he was given another family on earth. It is encouraging to read that Job's daughters received inheritance as well as his sons. The book of Job concludes in verse 16 and 17, After this Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. In the end Job is humbled. He has a fresh understanding of the majesty of God and his own unworthiness in God's sight. He also gets to see that God is amazingly merciful. Instead of ripping his friends apart for their misjudgments, he extends to them the mercy he has received and engages in priestly intercession. The school of suffering has profited Job. It will also profit us if we trust God. Listen again to Job's confession. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. And now we move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour in the New Testament, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, and we will read through to verse 21. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Knowing that we all appear before Christ at the judgment, we do not live passively. Paul speaks of his motivation in ministry. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord, Savior, and Judge. He is motivated by the fear of the Lord, in verse 11, and the love of Christ, in verse 14. When Paul speaks of the love of Christ, he is not referring to his love for Christ, but Christ's love towards him. That love towards Paul and his fellow workers motivated Christ to die for them. That love motivates them to endure all things, denying themselves and living for God's glory and for the good of others. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. The love of God, expressed in the finished, redemptive work of Christ on the cross, gives Paul a totally new perspective. He sees every human soul as a candidate for God's grace. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 he also sees himself and all other believers in a new light. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 How do you see yourself? How do you see your brothers and sisters in Christ? How do you see those who are lost? The God who reconciled us to himself through the finished work of Christ has also given us a ministry to see people in this light, as potential candidates for God's grace. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 Because of the life-or-death nature of our message, we are not casual in our approach, but very earnest. We must intentionally call people to repentance and faith. The crux of our message is the message of the crux, that is, the cross for crux means the cross in Latin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 What a rich exchange! Jesus became the perfect sin offering. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, allowed himself to be treated by God the way we deserve to be treated as sinners, so we could be treated by God the way he deserves to be treated as absolutely righteous. Now we move on to our next stop in the Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms, and we read Psalm 45, verses 1 through 17. Your throne, O God, is forever. Psalm 45, verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. 
Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O Mighty One, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many-colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you for ever and ever. Psalm 45 is a song addressing a king written by a ready scribe. It is intended to address a king in David's line, but we can see it as messianic in that the glory of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, is in view. This is a psalm about the royal wedding. The beauty, grace, and majesty of the King is described in the opening verses. Verses 4 through 5 bring to mind Christ's glory at His return at the last battle in the book of Revelation. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And in your majesty ride on victoriously, for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Psalm 45, verse 4. Verse 6 is quoted in reference to Christ in Hebrews chapter 1. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. We see Jesus as the anointed one above all else. He is anointed with the oil of joy. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. Psalm 45, verse 7. Have you experienced the joyous satisfaction that the Father has with the person and work of His Son? 
verses 10 through 12, speak of the loyalty of the bride to her head, the king. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty, because he is your lord. Bow down to him. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. Psalm 45, verses 10 through 12. She is made glorious by the king and is presented to the king. This relationship of the bride to the bridegroom king is reflected in marriage, according to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25-27 through 27. The all-glorious King is to be reflected in the glorious Bride, daughters and sons. Psalm 45, verse 13. Christ is coming for His Church, which is being made all-glorious. The complete triumph of Christ and His Church are prefigured in this psalm. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the peoples will give you thanks for ever and ever. Psalm 45, verse 17. To Him be the glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus to all generations for ever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. And now for our final stop on our tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 14. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. The mouth of forbidden women most likely refers to seductive speech. We are to be on guard against flattery or verbal enticement to do that which is not pleasing to the Lord. To allow yourself to be seduced brings its own punishment. You are being lured into a trap from which it is difficult to escape. Take warning. Now let's pray. Who is like you, Lord? Thank you for your boundless love and amazing grace. You are the perfect judge and mercifully the perfect justifier. Thank you for opening our eyes and drawing us to receive your provision of a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. We embrace with a spirit of thanksgiving the perfect work of redemption that he accomplished on our behalf. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, as a new creation in Christ. Help us to see others as you see them, not after the flesh, but as candidates for your grace. Send us forth as your ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. Fill us with boldness that we may effectively persuade people to be reconciled to you through faith in the gospel. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Congratulations on completing the book of Job and making progress through the New Testament. And we look forward, God willing, to be with you tomorrow as we start a new book, the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and get daily prompting to develop a strong habit of Bible reading each day. You can also get a written copy of our commentary on each day's Bible reading by going to our website, newlife.org. And you can contact us by email, by writing podcast at newlife.org. May you be blessed in the remainder of your day, and may you know the fruit of the righteous work of Christ, which is peace and joy. Shalom.